one nation under God. That's what, <clears throat> that's what our founders intended, and uh, that's certainly what we need today. I just finished reading George Barna's new book, American Worldview Inventory for 2020 and 21, and here are just a few disturbing results of that survey. First, almost six out of every 10 adults, 58%, agree that, quote, identifying moral truth is up to each individual. There are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. Also, 77% agreed that right and wrong is determined by factors other than the Bible. Even more shocking is that about half, 46% of those who attend evangelical churches, say moral truth is dictated by the individual rather than by the absolute moral truths dictated by God's word. And Barna writes that the biggest shock for him of the survey revealed that most Americans believe that human life has no intrinsic or absolute value. Only 39% agreed that human life is sacred. Today we are celebrating the 245th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which was signed by men who intended, intended to weave biblical principles into the moral foundation of our nation. For example, Dr. Larry Arne, president of Hillsdale College in Michigan, found four places in the Declaration of Independence where God is mentioned. He's mentioned as the maker of the laws of nature. He's mentioned as the supreme judge of the world. He's mentioned as the uh, divine providence and also as the creator. And also the, first, the very first act of America's first Congress was to ask a minister to open with prayer and to lead Congress in reading four chapters of the Bible together. In 1787, the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, Benjamin Franklin declared, Gentlemen, I have lived a long time and am convinced that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire, an empire can rise without his aid. John Quincy Adams on July 4, 1837 wrote, Is not the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth, that it laid the cornerstone of, the, of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity? The Bible asks in Psalm 11.3, If the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? It's surely obvious that the foundational principles of this nation are being destroyed. Principles such as reverence for God and respect for the word, the sacredness of marriage and the family, and the sacredness of human life. The principle of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people was a critical component of the foundation of this country, but they are being systematically destroyed by aggression and neglect. So here we are on this slippery slope heading for a cultural collapse brought on by an implosion of the moral values which form the foundation of our country. And there are those who seem determined to wipe God and his moral absolutes off the slate of the American mind and out of the soul of our society. Our founding fathers understood that a democracy cannot survive without shared moral values and morality cannot be sustained without a belief in God. 
George Washington expressed this sentiment in his farewell address when he said, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of a religious principle. James Madison wrote, we have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Catholic priest and a Protestant minister were out golfing one day when the minister noticed that each of the first three holes, the priest, as the priest approached the green, he would make a sign of the cross and then would sink in a long, almost impossible putt. After the third hole, the minister asked the priest, do you think it would help my putting if I made the sign of the cross before approaching the ball? To which the priest, looking up, and replied, no. And the minister asked, why? Because I'm a Protestant? He said, no, because you don't know how to putt. You see, it's not a matter of someday being able to come up with a shared system of moral values without God. It's impossible because we don't know how. It's not a matter of having an inadequate moral base or a wrong moral base. It's a matter of morality not existing at all in a purely materialistic world, which some would favor today. Or as Russian novelist Dostoevsky put it, if God did not exist, everything would be permitted. So then how should the church respond to help recover the moral foundations that have made our country great? As Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? Let's see how the church is doing. According to 2020 American Worldview Inventory, after interviewing 2,000 randomly sampled adults, these are some of the conclusions that George Barna made from his interviews. First of all, only 6%, 6% of U.S. adults possess a biblical worldview. Only 2% of those under 30. Your worldview is the filter through which you make every decision in life. So every decision in your life is a direct result of your worldview. As Barna explains, think of it this way. Your worldview is the human equivalent of a computer's operating system. Without an operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS, your computer is worthless. So without a worldview, you would be paralyzed. You would have no idea what to do, why to do it, or how and when to do it. It's also important to recognize that your worldview is not just a set of your core values and beliefs. As Barna points out, he says a worldview includes core beliefs, but also the behaviors that stem from those beliefs. Realize that you do what you believe. That makes sense. And speaking of those 6% who possess a biblical worldview, Barna adds those are the people whose dominant process for making life decisions is to identify the biblical principles and commands that relate to the choices they face and then to consistently act in ways that conform to those principles and commands. The second conclusion Barna made from the interviews is that only half of American adults, 51%, 
believe in a traditional biblical view of God as the, quote, all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, and just creator of the universe who still rules the world today. Right at half. Faith in that belief has plummeted from 73% in 1991 to 51% in 2021. The survey also showed a dramatic increase in the proportion who say a higher power may exist, but nobody really knows for certain. That increased from 1% in 1991 to 20% today. And only 34% of those who, quote, have a biblical view of God also believe that he's involved in their life. A third conclusion among more Many more made by Barna is this. Over the last 40 years, Americans have been gradually but consistently abandoning a range of foundational biblical beliefs in favor of a human-centric, consensual, emotion-driven understanding of and response to the world. In other words, the influence of Christianity on culture and on our individual lives is largely invisible. There has been a nationwide reorientation toward truth, purpose, and authority. Truth is no longer absolute. It's based on a consensus. Purpose is no, long, no longer serves the good of the whole, but the good of the individual. And authority does not find its power in God-given leaders, but rather in the strong ruling over the weak. As Barna points out, as our culture becomes more self-absorbed, quote, we have transitioned from a people who upheld the existence of absolute moral truth to a nation where the majority now rejects moral absolutes. Bob Vernon, former assistant police chief of the Los Angeles Police Department, once suggested a theory he called parallel lines, describing the church's relationship to its surrounding culture. He believed the church needed to be above the world. But as the world's values nosedive, he said, we are tempted to accommodate our values so that we're just a little above the world instead of maintaining a high standard of truth based on God's word. Many Christians are taking what I call the cafeteria approach to decisions about moral behaviors, choosing what, what they believe and how they will act without much concern for what the Bible teaches, or simply stated, the church is on its own slippery slope on a downhill slide to becoming a worldly church. The sins of the world have become the sins of the church, and we cannot hope to change the world when there is sin in the camp. And all you have to do is listen to the news to know that. Many Christians are taking that cafeteria approach to their decisions, their moral decisions. Jesus used salt as a metaphor to describe the disciples' relationship to the world. He said, you, disciples, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. If I were to point to one reason for our lack of positive influence in the world today, it would have to be this. We're unwilling to be the salt where we are. We have allowed what saltiness we have to be polluted by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, as Apostle John writes. And as a result, we have failed to be a significant influence to preserve the moral values 
we say we value so highly. In 1972, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that religious convictions are protected by the Constitution, and in that ruling, the court clarified the difference between a conviction and a preference. Attorney David Gibbs summarizes the conclusions of the court this way, quote, a conviction was ruled to be a religious belief that that was believed to be God-given, therefore, it would never change under any circumstances. Anything less was merely a religious belief preference. So the question is, are our beliefs today convictions or merely preferences? Are you willing to go to jail for morals you hold to be God-given and non-negotiable? What if it became unlawful to say anything about God, Christ, or the Bible other than in a church building? Or what if the state decided you were not fit parents for your children because you forced them to attend the church you attend? The frightening truth is those scenarios are possibilities for the future given what some today are proposing in the halls of Congress and the courts. Our society will not take notice of our stand until we're ready to draw a line in the sand and say stick with our convictions whatever the cost. We're in for a tough battle, folks, in the years to come. Steve May tells this story. He said, years ago, I was involved in a business meeting in which one of our clients tried to persuade my boss to cut some corners that were at least unethical. My boss confronted the man and said something along the lines of, are you suggesting what it sounds like you're suggesting? And the man hemmed around and finally said, yes. And my boss stood up and said, this meeting is over. And so is our relationship. And stormed out of the office. And it was his office. The client sat there dumbfounded, and frankly, so did I. My boss came back 15 seconds later and said, Did you hear me? This meeting is over. Steve will show you to the door. And he sat at his desk and started going through the mail. I knew my boss desperately needed the business this client offered, but he didn't want the client's money bad enough to cheat others. Folks, if we are to have any impact on slowing down this downward moral slide of our society, then we individually must be willing to stand on our own convictions no matter what the cost. Because we're in for a battle. We're already in a battle, but we're in for a bigger battle. And we must demonstrate a commitment to a biblical worldview so that every decision we make in life is based on the principles of that worldview. That the dominant process for making our life decisions is to identify biblical principles and commands that relate to the choices we face and then to consistently, consistently act in ways that conform to those principles and commands. And that the God we worship is the omnipotent, omniscient, perfect, and just creator of the universe and still rules it today. Would you believe that just 10% of U.S. adults believe that? According to Barna, 10%. George Barna is convinced that unless we, quote, take intentional and strategic steps to direct the minds of children toward biblical principles and practices, the cultural changes many Christians now lament will become the dominant way of life in this country. 
Churches must help parents to develop the tools needed to instill biblical thinking in the minds and hearts of their children so they'll be more likely to make choices in line with God's word. And I might add grandparents probably ought to consider helping with that as well. They must model consistent obedience to the teachings of Jesus' love and for one another as Jesus loves them. They'll need to monitor their children's media usage and the content of the curricula used in the schools they attend. If the moral standards conveyed by media education in the school's curricula stray from biblical principles, Barna says, that burden will fall on the shoulders of parents and churches who are responsible for crafting those standards in the first place. If the moral standards conveyed by media education and the school's curricula stray from biblical principles, Barna says, that burden will fall on our shoulders. And because we're in a spiritual battle, we'll also need to employ the spiritual weapons that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that in his letter to the Ephesian church. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The armor includes confidence in the absolute truth of God's word. Living a life of righteousness and obedience to that word. Taking up a shield of faith that will protect you from the flaming uh, arrows of the evil one. And support it with all the power of prayer in all occasions. Perhaps even sometimes prayer and fasting. During one of his many polar expeditions, Rear Admiral Robert Perry headed north with one of his dog teams. At the end of the day, when he stopped to take a bearing on his latitude, he amazed to discover that he was actually farther south than he had been at the beginning of the day. The mystery was eventually solved when he found that he'd been traveling on a gigantic ice flow. Ocean currents were pulling it south faster than the dog teams could drive him north. And when you're working hard, standing fast on your moral convictions, it may seem at times as if you are on that ice flow, trying to head north, but making little progress. That our society is too far down the slippering slope toward cultural collapse. And the church may be contributing to that slide with its wishy-washy stands on moral issues that threaten marriage, the family, unborn babies, the church, and the religious freedoms we cherish today. Folks, that battle is going on, and it's going on now. Faced with these challenges, it's more important than ever that we are committed to be the church God intended by being the salt of the earth, that's being a positive influence for moral purity, and by standing on our faith convictions no matter what the cost, because the world is watching to see if we will. Or we just might be on the verge of learning by experience the words of William Penn, quote, if we are not willing to be governed by God, we shall be ruled by tyrants. May we be a people committed to recovering the foundations on which our forefathers built one nation under God. As the psalmist hauntingly asks, if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do. Let's pray, shall we? Father, on this, uh, on this special day when the hearts and minds of people across our land are 
are directed toward you and uh, hopefully and also are directed toward our leaders to help us to see how we can be one nation under God. And we pray, God, that uh, Christians in our nation and the world would, um, would stand up and be counted and, in, and, in, and lovingly attack those words and those messages which are counter to your word and your message. And help us, Lord, to be alert to our own actions and thoughts because it's so easily to be drawn in because so many are shouting the same things that are contrary to your word. And we pray, God, as a church, that we would be willing to take a stand in our community for you and for what your word teaches when needed. And we thank you, God, that so many before us have been faithful. And we pray that we might be faithful to you as well. In Jesus' name, amen.